What up, world? It's your past first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond, and you are listening to another episode of Lockdown Blazers, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Season's here, and we are going to start what will hopefully be a weekly segment, all fan-generated question-answer session. Um, for right now, I'm calling it a mailbag, but hopefully I'll come up with some cool branding. But I want to do these once a week throughout the year, give you guys a chance to ask the question that's on your mind, get a little closer insight to the team, and uh, kind of bring you the value that I hope this podcast can, which is someone who's around the team answering your questions about what's going on around the team. So that's what we're going to do. Three segments of all your questions. If you want to get your question on the show in the future, I solicit questions on Twitter. My handle is at Mike G. Rich. So, you know, look for those in the middle of the day. Um, and uh, once we get a sort of rhythm with these, maybe we'll, we'll do them when they, they make sense. So you'll know when to ask questions. But if you want to get your question in in the future, at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. So let's just get right into it. We're going to start with probably my favorite question that I got from... Marvin underscore Iverson at Marvin Iverson 2 on Twitter asks, is the roster better than the 2019 playoff roster? I think this is the crux of the whole season in a way. Uh, The playoff roster obviously didn't include Yusuf Nurkic, so I think it's a better um, gauge of how good this team is. The Blazers right after the All-Star break... uh, were as good as they've been in the the Dame Stotts era post Lamarcus Aldridge. When they added Enes Kanter and added Rodney Hood, that was as good and deep a group as we've seen them have, without a doubt. But post Nurk's injury and uh, when CJ got back from his knee injury and when they went into the playoffs, I think that's a good sort of measurement for is this group better than last year. I'm not sure, Marvin. I think generally coming out, um, I think there's a lot of optimism around this group. I know other members of the media are much more excited about this team's potential than maybe I am, but uh, that's what makes people special is their uh, willingness to disagree. I don't know if this team's better. I think they're different, and I think their struggles will come in different places. I think they're better shooters. I think Bazemore and Rodney Hood are definitely going to be better shooters than the other options on the wing. Mo Harkless and, uh, and Alfaruka Minu. I think in theory they're better defending the rim. Uh, I th- uh, Hassan Whiteside is probably a better defensive player than Ennis Cantor. Um, Zach Collins is definitely a better rim protector, at least a shot blocker than Alfaruka Minu. But I'm not sure that he's a better overall defender. But I, I think the Blazers are going to take a little step back on defense on the perimeter. How much that will really matter is maybe in the eyes of the beholder. And the Blazers will tell you, or have said at least, that they think team defense will help them. Well, um, it's if if your team is filled with people who aren't good at defense, your team is a bad defensive team. So, But I don't necessarily think this team has a bunch of shitty defenders on it. I just think that uh, they have sacrificed some of their perimeter defense and perimeter versatility on defense to be better on offense. So I think... They're about the same. It's just as opposed to an above average defensive team or at least an average defensive team that had, you know, two really good scores that propped them up. They probably have more and better offensive weapons, but are a little bit worse on the perimeter defensively. So if you're asking me just straight up, yes or no, Marvin underscore Iverson, I'm probably going to say yes but I'm a little bit hesitant. I'm certainly more hesitant than almost anyone else in the Blazers media, so call me a hater. That's fine. Second question comes from Corbin Smith at Corbin A. Smith on Twitter. Did Zach gain weight? 
I think this is tug-in-cheek, and I'm not sure Corbin listens to this podcast, but if you do, hi, Corbin. Uh, Zach Collins did gain weight, reportedly. He put on, depending on who you ask, 10 pounds or 10 pounds of muscle. I don't think he added 10 pounds of muscle. I think that's a crazy thing that people say. They added muscle, and they also gained 10 pounds. So yeah, Zach's a little heavier than he was last year, but I don't think he just um, went to the gym and rocked up just 10 solid pounds of muscle. That's just not how bodies grow, even at age 21. Sorry. But yeah, Zach's bigger. And that's like a really exciting thing that people love in training campus. Who got bigger and why? Um, So yeah, Zach's bigger. I don't think the Blazers have anyone in that, like, I lost 25 pounds and got right over the summer boat, um, like they've had in the past when when Yusuf Nurkic dropped all that weight. So if you're filling out your bingo card, you got uh, 10 pounds of muscle, but you do not have lost 20 pounds, best shape of my life. From Jeff at Jeff underscore Portland on Twitter, any buzz on Amphrey from other players? Ooh, boy. Um, Not as much as there was last season, but last season, a couple vets, Dame included, were really high on Anthony Simons. They said he can really play. You're going to see he can really play. And it's like, what does he he can really play mean? Like I've heard Dame say that about other guys. Mostly he's right. He said, Will Barton could play before Will Barton got a chance. He said, Alan Crabb was a player before Alan Crabb got a chance. And those guys are, you know, rotational NBA players. They're not stars by any means. Uh, Crab is even maybe a borderline rotation player at this point. But players know. So when when guys when those guys know early, they, they definitely know before I do, certainly, from what they see, and just because they have just a much better sense of the NBA game than my than what I can bring to the table. Um But during this uh during the the training camp specifically, Jeff, I don't know if there's been a ton of buzz about Anthony from other guys, mostly because Neil Olshay has provided so much buzz that media members aren't looking for uh, his teammates to comment and provide hype. Like, there's so much hype coming from the organization's leading decision maker that, uh, you know, you you just don't see questions. Guys, you know, you don't see media members just asking, like, Hey Dame, can Anthony really play? Like, is Neil lying? Um, th- th- that's not the kind of that's just not the kind of thing that in the group setting interviews so far that I've seen uh, hasn't happened. But yeah, in the past, like all, all last season when Anthony was behind the scenes, there were Blazers players saying that he could ball. So the buzz has been there. Um, the tr- the The train is gaining steam every day. This is from Logan Giles at Logan Giles on Twitter. How's Scal looking? Will he earn a rotation spot? Are the young bigs learning tricks from Mark Gasol? Mark Gasol. Pal Gasol. He just said Gasol. I added the mark. Logan, you knew what you were talking about. It was me who made a mistake. Um, media members don't get to see much. I haven't seen Scal do much. Like, that. that's not how... We, you don't get to sit in on practice. Not how it works. Um, I will reserve answering that question for... Sp- some point in preseason after we see him do things. I don't know if I'll ever get to see Scal do much. Um, will he earn a rotation spot? My guess is no. If Pau Gasol is not healthy opening night, I think Scal is the next guy up, unless the Blazers get a little bit creative and move Zach to backup center. That would still mean that someone else would have to play in that spot. Maybe they can just squeeze Anthony Tolliver and Mario Hazonia and Scal still doesn't doesn't play. But I don't think if this Blazers team is healthy, 
you know, Sands' use of Nurkic. But if the other 13 guys are healthy, I don't think Scallon's rotation's by any point this season. Are the young bigs learning tricks from Pau Gasol? Uh, not yet. I mean, they, I'm sure that he's taught him some things, um, but uh, I have not spoken to them about that and, um, you know, can't really help. But hopefully he teaches them all the tricks. He was uh, one of the craftiest dudes ever in his time. Okay, that was four questions. We got more coming in the second segment. I uh, sort of organized these by training camp stuff, who's going to play this year, and big future questions. So in the second segment, we'll talk more about who's going to play this year. All right, our next question comes from David Knopp. That's Knopp, D-A, on Twitter. Who's surprising? Who are the surprising training camp standouts thus far? Uh, the big one you hear from guys is uh, just talking about Mario Hazonia. Uh, I think he was kind of an unknown to a bunch of these guys. He's young. He's mostly played in bad situations. Um, and, and you just, the, people are just surprised with, you know, all the things he can do. Um, he can, he can pass. He can, he can, he's six, eight and can handle, um, there is some buzz about Hazonia being a real contributor this year. And the other guy um, that you, just the name that keeps popping up is Kent Bazemore. Um, he's just a pro. He's a pro. And he's impressed, he's impressed people by just being a pro. I think he's going to be a really nice addition off the bench. Um, he might be asked to play a really, really big defensive role for this season. I think Kent Bazemore has um, uh, a lot on his, might have a lot on his plate, a lot on his shoulders this year just for, what he might be asked to do defensively on the wing. So it's good to know that in September, I guess now we're in October, but in September, the, the, his pickup game in September caught people's attention. Okay. That was my last training camp stuff. Now we're transitioning into who's going to play. And Nick Castaneda at Nick Castaneda on Twitter asks, who's a dark horse candidate for getting surprise minutes this year? Are there any, uh, Nick, I like this question a lot, but I kind of think no. Um, if I had to go, like, it depends on how deep you want to go on Dark Horse. Like, I don't think Mario Hazonia is a Dark Horse candidate. I don't think Anthony Tolliver is a Dark Horse candidate. I think those guys are battling for that ninth or 10th spot. I think those are the dudes who are right on the fringe. So if I had to go deeper down the roster and say who's a Dark Horse candidate to play this year, I guess I would say... Scalabus here, I guess, I guess, just because maybe um, 39-year-old Pau Gasol either can't play regularly or has to miss time or just um, needs, they need another option because the dude is almost 40 years old. Um, the other option would be Gary Trent Jr., but I don't see either of those necessarily breaking in. I don't, I think it's unlikely. So I don't know if there's a dark horse candidate, someone who's on the fringe right now who I feel is likely to play, but those are my two picks. Next question comes from Both Teams Pod. At Both Teams Pod on Twitter. I like this question too. Who logs more minutes this season, Gasol or Tolliver? This one's good because um, I think this is, a, this is a real toss-up and it's kind of depending on who you like. Damien Lord says that Anthony Tolliver can guard 3, 4, and 5. Um, defensively, so maybe that makes him more likely to play. But I think at the beginning of the season, Tolliver is more is still battling for that ninth rotation spot. Uh, I've mentioned this enough that I should go through it real quick. It's going to be Dame, CJ, Rodney Hood, Zach Collins, Hassan Whiteside are going to be your starters. Then off the bench, I think the people who are absolute locks to play are Anthony Simons and Kent Bazemore and Pau Gasol. 
Those are your absolute locks. If Powell's healthy, he's going to play. He's a lock to play. So then it's that ninth spot. It's uh, between Hazonia and Tolliver. So why I think it's interesting debate is because, you know, we don't know if Gasol's going to be totally healthy early in the season. Maybe Tolliver's three-point shooting is more valuable. If you believe Damian Lillard and he can guard threes, maybe he can play in some weird giant lineups and play small forward. Um, That would be a big surprise to me, but we'll see. So if I had to pick one, because that's what I'm doing answering these questions, I'm going to pick Gasol because I think early on he has a definite, definite rotation spot. And I'm not sure Tolliver does, but I think it's going to be close because I do think Tolliver plays and I will be surprised to see how many nights out of the year a 39-year-old adult playing in his 19th NBA season is really ready to suit up. Okay, next question. This one comes from Kevin Joyce at KJ Ironman one on Twitter. It's not really a question, but maybe like some things he'd like me to discuss. This is a talk about question, so I'll talk about it. Uh, let me read it for you. Maybe look into the new types of plays the offense will bring. We all expect lobs to be a part of it with us on Whiteside, but Whiteside also specifically talked about his passing game. And there's some talk about what Mario Hazonia will bring and also Dame's catch and shoot opportunities. So yeah, you kind of led me there, KJ. That's, um, that's, uh, you know, we're going to ask more open-ended questions in journalism. That's my advice to you. As far as new plays, New Olshay kind of um, hinted that they would run new sets. Uh, Terry Stotts, in the way that he usually is, was a little more obtuse about what that might look like. Um, I'm not, I don't think, I don't think like they're going to run these like specific alley-oop, new alley-oop plays now that they have a lob threat. I just think the normal pick-and-roll type stuff that they do, you know, they're sort of side-to-side action that you've seen them run a million times that ends with a high pick-and-roll instead of a bounce pass to Yusuf Nurkic or, um, you know, or or getting Mason Plum with the ball with two feet on the ground and letting him try to go reverse dunk through someone. Now those pick-and-rolls can end where Dame, uh, specifically Dame, because, you know, CJ ain't passing, but uh, Dame can just throw the ball up towards the rim and have Hassan Whiteside go get it. So I don't know if that's, that's not going to be a new play. It's just going to be a new finish to some familiar plays. Uh, Mario will bring, I, it's, they've been talking about Mario Hazonia playing point forward, but they also talked about Evan Turner playing point forward in an experiment that they tried to like square peg round hole for 55 games last season and then went away from it when it didn't work. And then they buried Evan Turner on the bench. So the idea that someone who has less NBA experience and less of a track record of success, if we're being real, um, then Evan Turner taking over that role on a team that features Dame, CJ, and newcomer Anthony Simons seems unlikely to me. I'm really excited about what Hazonia can bring, and I do think the Blazers having more dudes who can dribble and pass is going to be helpful. But for me, it's hard to see Mario Hazonia filling that role. really is. Uh, The Whiteside passing thing, I talked about this in a previous podcast, but I'll answer it quickly here. Dude isn't going to develop into being a good passer. This isn't going to magically happen. However, Terry Stotts' system seems to put bigs in particular in positions where if they are capable, they can up their passing numbers and and become better passers. Uh, Mason Plumlee, early on in his career, was a non-passer. But he always sort of had the skill. He kind of played a little bit of point guard growing up. He was all. He was a better ball handler, um, but statistically, he was a, he was not a playmaker, and Stotts made him into one. So I do think Whiteside will be in positions to make plays, but the idea that he's going to just morph into this 
point center is wild to me. Although if he does take a jump similar to Mason Plumley, I will be happy to eat crow on this podcast. Final one in KJ's talk about question. Dame's catch and shoot opportunities. I think that's a real thing that we hear about every offseason is Damian Lillard playing off the ball more. And then when push comes to shove, he is just not comfortable in a lot of situations playing off the ball, which makes sense because he's really, really good, like one of the 10 best players in the NBA when the ball is in his hands. Uh, I think it's nice to have that option. I think having guys like Rodney Hood who can handle and and has initiated some of the offense back in the day in Utah, Kent Bazemore who can be a little bit of a a, a point wing or, or ball handling wing, obviously CJ who can at least dribble up the floor and get himself into some, some offense, Mario Hazonia in theory as another guy who can dribble. I think there's more guys who can grab defensive rebounds and they can push and it will allow Dame to go and run in theory. I think in theory that's true. I just don't think we've ever seen it in practice because Dame, while he says the right things, is not functionally comfortable with it. Be nice to see him play off the ball more. If they do do it, I think it's a really good idea. But this is not the first summer that I've heard Damian Lord mention this and say he's excited about playing off the ball more, only to get the ball in his hands and be one of the best players in the league. You kind of play to your strengths. That's how the league works. All right, third segment, we're going to talk big picture stuff. Uh, got a couple questions just uh, about sort of the super future of the Blazers, and uh, I will I'll look for, deep into my crystal ball to get those. But before we get there, I want to tell you guys about Indochino. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. Start your style upgrade now with 30% off your purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when you enter Locked On at checkout. That's Indochino.com and Locked On, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N at checkout. All right, still Lockdown Blazers, still Mike Richmond, still doing all mailbag everything. Close out this episode with a couple sort of uh, further looking, deeper looking questions. Uh, first one comes from Travis Hyde, at Travis Hyde on Twitter. Um, he asked, has anyone asked Neil Terry Hassan about what Hassan's role will look like once Nurk is healthy? Have you gotten any insight as to if Hassan's positive attitude will change once Nurk is back? Okay, just like the basics to this question are no and no, but I think it deserves a little more nuance, mostly because you took your time out to ask the question and I owe it to you to be polite, but also just because I think this is a question that's on a lot of people's minds and it's sort of unknowable. Here's why it's unknowable. The Trailblazers will not even answer questions about when and if Nurk will play this season. They... Neil Olshay said February on a television interview at one point and intimated again that it'll be around February at Summer League. But since then, he's he's just gone away from timelines. He's not going to give specifics because he doesn't want what he calls Nurk Watch 2019. Well, it's going to be Nurk Watch 2020, Neil, so get ready for it. But since he's not going to talk about when and if Nurk is going to play, he's certainly not going to talk about what it'll look like when he's out on the court. Um, Terry Stotts never talks about his rotation under any circumstances, even when everyone's healthy and you know what he's going to do. He won't tell you who the starting lineup is when he starts the same dude 65 nights a year. So he's certainly not going to talk about roles and who's going to play in minutes in, in October about something that's going to happen after the All-Star break. And Hassan, well, he's just not going to speculate about that type of thing. I don't think anyone's asked him, but, um, 
you alluded to his positive attitude. He's got a positive attitude because he has a huge role in a contract year on an extremely talented team. He loves it here. He doesn't want to speculate about what happens, and frankly, he doesn't know because nobody knows because we don't know what Nurk is going to look like. Assuming you say when Nurk is healthy, is Nurk going to be healthy in February? And if he's healthy, quote-unquote, in February, is he healthy for 20 minutes a night? Is he healthy for 12 minutes a night? Or is he healthy and ready to play 30 full minutes, and then you do have two starting caliber centers and you have to figure it out? So I think the concern over Hassan Whiteside's attitude changing is fair. I think the wondering what that role looks like when you have two healthy centers is fair. I just think we're a long way away from that, and the Blazers aren't going to speculate because they don't know if we'll ever get there. If Nurk is healthy this season, awesome. But if he's not healthy this season, that's why you have Hassan Whiteside. And if at one point you have both... um, I guess the the cliche to say would be it's a nice problem to have. I actually think it's more complicated than that. It's a it's a tricky problem to have. But if Nurk can only play 15 minutes a night or even 20 minutes a night, he's the best backup center in the league, and you can just figure out who plays at crunch time. So yeah, uh, Hassan Whiteside's positive attitude is at least going to be sticking around through the turn of the year. So don't worry about it yet, Travis. Okay, last question uh, before we get out of here. This one comes from Paint in PDX. Paint in PDX says, I gave the schedule a quick glance. To me, the early season looks tough, giving me concerns about the te- that the team could struggle out of the gate. Do you agree? And if that were to be the case, well, all- with all the roster churn, do you think Terry and Dame can rally the troops? No doubt about it. The early season schedule is super road heavy. I believe the Blazers play 13 of the first 18 games on the road. It's a brutal, brutal, brutal stretch for a team with a bunch of new parts trying to sort of figure out how it all fits together. NBA preseason is nice, I guess, because um, you get some some chances to play guys together and experiment with new things, but coaches are super vanilla. They don't play everyone regular minutes. You just, it is not a dress rehearsal. And Terry Stotts, the last couple years, he used to spend one preseason game kind of playing it normal and giving like a, here's what it's normally going to look like. And he's kind of gone away from that. Even if he ends up playing Damon CJ 30 minutes, he does it in weird, weird times. They don't, they don't play their, the 30 minutes don't come in the same dosage that they would during the regular season. So you don't necessarily get a feel. Um, and that's not just from a media member or fan standpoint. That's also just from the guys. They don't, while they, they just won't have a feel for what the rotation and everything is going to shake out like till this, till the season starts. Um, and that's why starting with a road heavy schedule, I think could be really challenging. I agree with you. I think they could struggle out of the gate. I think this this is a team that could be, you know, they might be 8-10 and 10 after their first 18 games. However, if you've watched this team the last four seasons, you know it is inevitable. It is inevitable that they're going to go on a run in the spring. It's what they do. It's what they seem to always do. Even when you... When you count them out because they're struggling with a healthy roster, they do it. When you count them out because Yusuf Nurkic gets hurt and CJ McCollum gets hurt, and now they're playing without their second and third best player. They still go on a run and they finish the season strong. They just always seem to get going at the end of the year. They find their stride. They play their best heading into the playoffs. The playoffs haven't always been super kind to them last year, withstanding, but they always seem to play better in that 
February, March, April post All-Star break run. Um, this, that part of their schedule is a little bit kinder. They do go on a big road trip at the end of March, uh, six gamer, but they also play six straight home games. So they can fatten up in March if they, if they if they get right. So I think you're right, Peyton PDX, to point to the beginning of the season and say uh, this one could be could be troublesome. But I have watched this team enough and been around this team enough that I have full confidence in Damon Terry being able to rally the troops. They seem to have always done it. Uh, Terry Stotts keeps being on the quote unquote hot seat and keeps getting contract extensions because he coaches these guys above and beyond expectations. So yeah. I think this team is challenging for top half of the Western Conference playoff spots, regardless of how um, the beginning of the season shakes out. All right, that's all the questions that I got this for you this time. If you want your question answered on this podcast, just follow me on Twitter, at Mike G. Rich. I solicit questions there, and uh, pretty much every single person that asked a question this time, they got in the show. So ask a question, and I'll include you as best I possibly can. Also, do me a favor. Tell your friends about Lockdown Blazers. Tell them they can find this podcast wherever they already get podcasts. Google, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify will be there for you. I want to make this mailbag a regular thing, but the season started, so we're just going to have more podcasts, more of the stuff to do because real news is coming. Check your feed. Tell your friends. I really appreciate you guys listening. I'll talk to you soon.